0: This morning, it's always good to have the opportunity to pray for each other. I'm asked to give you a quick reminder. There is a box at the connect the member connect kiosk that is uh, it's entitled First John three and sixteen, and that box is there if you know of one of our members that could use help financially. Uh, please put their name in that box so that we will know uh, that and and can contact them and just see what their needs might be. And also, if you'd like to submit that online, you can go to our website, which is www.mountjuliet.org backslash need, just N-E-E-D backslash need. And uh, we look forward uh, to constantly reaching out to families that... Uh, are in need and just simply being God's hands and God's feet and God's family. As families do, we reach out and we help each other. If I ask you to define repentance, what would your definition of repentance be? Maybe you've heard me say it before. It's interesting to me that when I have one-on-one Bible studies, I always ask individuals, and I, I don't answer for them because I'm curious. I want to hear what they say. And most of the time when I ask someone, hey, what is repentance? They almost always will say something to the effect, first there'll be a pause, there'll be that kind of looking up and thinking, and then they'll say, I guess it's when we ask God to forgive us of our sins. Now, definitely, repentance is a part of the process of us approaching God to seek His forgiveness. But if we want to simply define repentance, that at all is not what repentance is. You see, the forgiveness of sins is God's part. We must, by God's grace and by God's mercy, seek His forgiveness of sins. But repentance is our part. Repentance, is a, by definition, is a change. It's a change that begins in our heart, our mind, and and that changes the way we think, that changes the way we act, that changes our Lord. We change and we no longer allow ourselves to be our master. We don't allow Satan to be our master. We're not driven by our peers. But instead we change and we say, Lord, I'm going to turn away from all that I've been in sin and I'm going to turn to you. And so repentance is a change that involves a turn. Now, it's interesting that after the lame man was healed in Acts, the third chapter, which we've talked around and about that this morning and some even last week. But I want you to notice there, if you have your Bible open, let's scan some things. Beginning at verse 11, Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel! Why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Now you see what he's doing. He's taking where their interest lies. They, they were just so amazed at the man that they'd seen uh, since his birth, 40 years old now, and now he's up walking around. And he's hanging on to Peter. In other words, he's so thankful for the one that healed him and he just doesn't want to leave his sight. And, and now he's going to take advantage of the attention that that has drawn to teach a powerful lesson. Now I want you to go ahead and drop down and see in 19 what he's eventually getting to. He's going to ask them to do something. And in 19, this is what he's asking them to do. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. But now I ask you this, how is he going to get to that point? That's ultimately what he's doing. He's seeing this opportunity. He wants people to repent and be converted. In other words, repent and turn or flee to God. What is he going to do? For just a few minutes this evening, I ask you as we study along to think about if the very lesson that Peter preached to them surely is the same message that would benefit us tonight as we think about what is the message that Peter would want them and us to hear, first, before anybody ever genuinely repents of sins, they have to first be convicted of sins. We live in a society where most most people today see themselves as religious even when they're not. And they even see themselves as saved when they're not. I rarely sit down and study with an adult anymore and ask them, are you saved? And them say, no, I'm not saved. Listen, just 15 years ago in ministry, that didn't happen on a regular basis. 15 years ago when I would ask people, are you saved? Very frequently, adults would look at me and say, no, I'm not saved. Today, because of a society that is embedded in tolerance, Today, almost everybody that you know believes that they're saved. Why? Because we as a society are not responsible for our sins. And so here we see the beginning of any of us. And I'm not trying to point fingers at other people. I'm talking to me and and you study and talk to yourself the first thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to say, you know what, I am a sinner and I'm responsible for my sins. And when we become convicted of sins, then we will be willing to repent. And so let's back up and let's see how he convicts them of sin. You see there in verse 13, and this is going to sound like a, a portion of this morning's sermon when we were reading down in the fourth chapter in verse 10 and 11. But notice here, when he's talking to these people outside the, the court area there, the, or Solomon's porch, notice as we see here in, in 13... 14 and 15, I'd like for you to notice at least three U's and one implied you. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this verse 13, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Boy, you, you talk about really making them sound guilty. He doesn't just throw out the fact that you had your hand in it. He reminds them, remember, Pilate wanted to let him go. You just wouldn't allow it to happen. You wanted Pilate to do something else than to let him go. And so that's the first you we see there. Look in verse 14. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You see how his effort to convict them is very straightforward, very blunt. You had the holy one, you had the just one, but what you wanted was the murderer to be free and let's go ahead and crucify the one that is innocent. And then another implied you in 15, it would read, and you killed the prince of life. Other translations talk about the originator of life, which is interesting. You killed the originator of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses, Not insulting your intelligence, but what was he doing right there? For those verses, it wasn't just sentences. It was phrase after phrase. I'm reminding you, you are guilty. You've committed this sin. You've committed a crime against God. Why? Please get this simple statement. He wasn't doing that because he wanted to condemn them. He was doing that because he wanted them to repent. Tonight, I hope you understand that the Scriptures clearly teach that we're all sinners. When we look back in Romans, the first chapter, Romans 1, 2, and 3, and if you'll just scan a few things with me there. I want you to see this. And as we look at this, I want you to realize we're not looking at this tonight because we want someone here to leave here condemned tonight. We want someone to leave here if they have a need to repent and make their life right with God. We are saying this because we want people to repent. But you know what? None of us ever repents unless we recognize the fact, I'm convicted of sin. Romans 1 and 18 we see for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness what stirs God's wrath any we sin any we do something unrighteous or ungodly we see the stairwell down of sin beginning in 21 and he even lists sins very specifically beginning at 29 of the first chapter and finally he reminds again of what the consequences of dying in sin is in 32 who knowing the righteous Judgment of God. See, God's judgment's fair. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. God's wrath is stirred against sin. He gives a list of sins, and he says, Now, anybody that does these, even if you approve of these things, you deserve to die. Then in the second chapter, he speaks to religious people that they will not practice, second chapter verse 1, what they preach. They go out and tell people not to commit sin, but yet they go out and commit sin. And now the problem with that is in verse 11, there is no partiality with God. It doesn't matter if you've never claimed to be religious, but yet are a sinner, or if you claim to be religious, but yet you are a sinner. There's no partiality with God. Every individual is responsible for their sin. That brings us to the third chapter in verse 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. That brings us to the third chapter in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible about Jesus being our Savior is in 24, 25, and 26. Where in those verses, Jesus is described as the one who will justify us, redeem us. He will serve as our propitiation. He, through His death on the cross, has demonstrated the righteousness of God. Now, know what we just said. We just said 24 and 25 and 26 are some of those beautiful verses about salvation. What led up to those verses? Three chapters of Paul writing to say, Are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? Yes, yes, yes. And when I believe that, then I will believe that I need a Savior. People do not repent of sins who have not first been convicted of sin. To convict someone of sin is not in hopes that they will be condemned in sin. It's in hopes that they will repent of sins. And so when we go back to our text in Acts the third chapter, we see that that's exactly what Paul is doing here. Paul is convicting them boldly, straightforward, in hopes that they will repent. Notice the appeal that he makes. As you skip down in verse 17 of the third chapter, did you notice what he called them? Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. He relates to them, brethren. Oh, and also, I'm sure you weren't thinking clearly and understanding everything that you were doing. I'm sure that some aspects of that you did in ignorance. You see, he's not there to make war with them. He's now that he has identified them as sinners, He's now is going to make that passionate and compelling plea. Come to repentance. Have a change of heart. Change your master. Turn from Satan and turn to God. And that's how he says it there in 19. Repent therefore and be converted. Some say that even in the original writing here, that that the turn here in being converted, that it could also be translated to flee to God. Let that sink in for a moment. We usually don't use flee in that terminology. Repent, that's to turn and change where we are and flee to God. You know what kind of language that is? If you'd like to read along with me a few verses, that's language like we find in Joshua, the 20th chapter. In Joshua, the 20th chapter, if you know your, your old Bible, uh, uh, average well, uh, you'll, you'll probably say, yeah, I remember reading about that before, but, but there may be some here tonight that you'll say, I have never heard of that in, in my life. Did you know that in the Old Testament, where they lived by an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and a life for life, What happens when it was an accidental taking of a life? Did you know that they actually had cities of refuge where if you accidentally took a life, and notice this, you could flee to the city of refuge that your life could be protected Here's how it's described in the 20th chapter in verse 2 of Joshua. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city... Now think about the spiritual symbolism here as it relates to us repenting and fleeing to God. You stand at the gate of the city and declares His case in the hearing of the elders of the city. They shall take Him into the city as one of them and give Him a place that He may dwell among them. What is the price that's paid for sin? Remember Romans 6 and 23? The wages, the price that's paid, the wages of sin is death. So someone is a sinner, and what what do they deserve? Just as we read a moment ago in Romans 1 and 32, we deserve death. And so I say, okay, I recognize I'm convicted, I'm a sinner, but I don't want to die. What can I do? And Peter says, i tell you what you need to do. Repent and flee to God. Find your refuge in the only place... That you can be saved from your sin. And so, in that sense, the beauty of repentance, now keep in mind, it's our responsibility. Why? Why is it our responsibility? The city of refuge is there. God has done His part. It's our responsibility that once we're convicted of sin, we have to decide am I going to stay here or am I going to flee to God? Acts, the third chapter. Peter was making his plea for these individuals to make that run. Why? There's at least three things that, as he makes his appeal, he uses these to say, here are some blessings that you will enjoy if you will make that move. Is it worth it to repent? Did you notice when we looked in Acts the third chapter and About the middle of verse 19, did you notice he said that your sins may be blotted out. You remember the last time that you were wearing something, uh, your clothing was was maybe uh, some of your nicer clothing, and you were already uh, away from home, and maybe you were on your way to an event, and you spilt something on your clothing. You remember that feeling of, oh, I can't believe I did that. I wonder if there's any chance I can blot this out. How many times have you and I stopped and meditated upon our life? And we look back at sin and we say, I can't believe I did that. As we look back, we even say, I wish I would have never done that. It's part of that sorrow of sin of 2 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, and verse 10. But you and I can't take away the guilt of our own sin. If we could, we could be our own Savior. And so, why do I need to repent? I need to repent because the one who says, I can blot out your sin, requires us to repent. I tell you, nay, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Luke, the 13th chapter, verse 3 and verse 5. So, what are some of the blessings of repentance? Number one, a tremendous blessing of repentance is that is a way that we approach God in order to have our sins blotted out. I'm not saying that's all we do. I'm simply telling you that the Scriptures teach us if we don't do that, our sins will never be blotted out. I love the verse in Psalm 103 and verse 12 where it speaks about the blotting out of our sins. It says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Isn't it wonderful that even though we can't go back and relive the past, how many of us say, oh, I know what I'd relive. I know I wouldn't do that again. But we can't do that. But God says, I can take it away. I can take away the guilt of it. As far as the east is from the west, will you be removed from your sin? Brethren, when we talk about peace that passes understanding, that peace cannot exist if we haven't participated in repentance. And that brings us to a second thing in this very same verse in Acts the third chapter. Did you notice a little later in 19 where he says, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Refreshing. You know how When maybe you've been working and and what you've been doing has gotten you so dirty that at the end of the day you say, I just want to take a shower. I want to be refreshed. Or maybe you have been drained. You know those times in life where you feel like you work and you work and you work and yet you're going in circles? You say, I feel frustrated. I I just wish I had a a clear purpose in my life. I wish my life was refreshed. Or maybe at times where we really feel like our life is stale. Refreshing our life. Do you remember when Jesus called individuals to Him in Matthew the 11th chapter, beginning at 28, when He said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But now what do we have to do? Come to Him. That's another way to define repentance. If I am away from God, I am in sin. And the only way to come to God is to say, I repent. And to literally change our mind, to change our direction and say, I'm leaving the sin behind. And I am fleeing to that spiritual city of refuge. I'm fleeing to God. I'm going to allow Him to blot out my sins. Let's use the words of David. And restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I want joy. I want to be refreshed. I want to have a spiritual life that is strong and vibrant. It can't happen without repentance. But we close this lesson with one more blessing. If you will, look at the very end of the third chapter. He says, to you first, God having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Turning away? That's another way to define repentance. What did He do? He says, God's going to bless you. How? He's going to give you the guidance. He's going to give you the strength. He's going to give you the wisdom that you need. To do what? To turn away from your iniquities. Now when we turn from iniquities, we're going toward God. And so he uses another way to describe a blessing of repentance. Why is it a blessing to get away from sin? Do you believe, Galatians 6 and 7, that whatsoever a man sows, that must he reap? Do you really believe that for every sin there is a painful consequence that we will experience because of it? It's true. I'm reminded of the very last verse in the book of James. In James, the fifth chapter, when he talks about how wonderful it is when someone turns someone away from sin. In other words, here's a person going and they're pleading to someone repent leave this life look at the blessings now how do we do that we know from the sermon tonight we do that by convicting people of sins we do that by making the appeal that there's something better what do we do we show them that your life can be refreshed we show them what life is like with God but notice what he does here he also uses kind of the opposite side of that coin and says also show them what they're leaving behind Well, what are we leaving behind? Look at verse 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will, number one, save a soul from death, but number two, cover a multitude of sin. How long have you been a faithful Christian? Do you realize that because someone encouraged you to repent and because you found the strength and the conviction to repent, Do you realize how many sins you've not committed since that time? I know none of us are perfect. But do you realize how many sins you've not committed that you otherwise would have committed? And now think about this. Every one of those sins would have had a painful consequence. What relationships would you have harmed if you wouldn't have repented? What pain or vices would you have brought into your life if you would have not repented? Ah, but think about this as we close this lesson. What if you repent tonight? And a year from now, you're able to look back on the last 365 days and say, a year ago I repented. And since then, there have been a multitude of sins covered in my life. In other words, they were taken out of my life. And today, I'm enjoying the blessings of living a life that has been separated from those past iniquities. Friends, there's a lot of things powerful about the cross, about a resurrected Lord. But one of those things that's powerful is that it gives us the courage and the motive to say, I can do this, I can leave behind this sin. Because what I'm going toward is worth any sacrifice that I have to give up. Repentance. If anybody tells you it's easy, they're lying to you. But if anybody tells you it's not worth it, they're lying to you also. Repentance is the way home, it's our responsibility. Respond to a God who is a city of refuge, wanting to protect us and embrace us. Are you home with Him tonight? Is your life a life of repentance? If not, why not do that tonight and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? Or maybe you've done that, but along the way you've lost the way and you want to repent. And confess sin and pray forgiveness tonight. Let's all leave here tonight safe in the arms of our Savior. And if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.